Hello again and welcome to a special episode of the Outside Centre Film Podcast. We did promise we'd do a special, Paul. We did indeed. And we're going to do one. And uh, this is it. This is it. Like it or lump it, I'm afraid. I'm uh, sure we'll do more in the future as well. We'll see. If, if there's something worth doing, we'll, we'll certainly consider it. Uh, normal service will resume, however, in a couple of weeks. But today, it's a special, we'll be looking at a decent director and his most recent film, which wasn't too bad at all. Lars von Trier and uh, Nymphomaniac Volumes 1 and 2. Uh, warning, heavy spoilers are coming, and it's a film that you really don't want to have spoiled. So, if you have any desire to watch it and you haven't already, we'll allow you to stop your temporary streaming and come back to us at a later date. You mean you're going to reveal that the woman in it has sex? <laughs> <laughs> and that there are that there are men... Uh, shall we just come out and say, cunts and cocks? <laughs> shall we just come out and say it already? It's got, the, the explicit label is there. We we have to say that yeah. because that's what we're going to be talking about. And they do say that an awful lot in the film. She does. So well, both well, oh, everybody, everybody does. does. Everybody does. <laughs> but um, before we get into the actual film, Paul, let's have a little bit of a chat about Lars von Trier himself. Now he's my he's my favourite director. I would imagine he's in your top echelon somewhere. Absolutely. I'm not sure what number. Um, Absolutely. Should we talk about how we both discovered him? Because we're obviously both at different ages. We probably joined his career at different times. Um, so where, where did Von Trier make his impact on you, first of all? Uh, in, in, there was a couple of elements, really. Because when I was, doing my, I was doing my PhD in the 90s on disability in cinema, and the first film I came across was Breaking the Waves. Yes. Uh, Not a great place to start, really. Uh, absolutely, because I <laughs> hated Breaking the yeah, Waves, yeah. both in the relation to its disability. And I, and I must say, it's very interesting that you're a big fan of his, because, you know, I, my specialism is disability. Lars von Trier is obsessed with disability. which is Physical which is, and mental. Absolutely, which is quite interesting. So I was Breaking the Waves, and then the second one was The Idiots, which was two years later. Fantastic. Now, The Idiots is a masterpiece, yeah. and Breaking the Waves is an awful piece of drivel. Uh, and that's, that's quite an interesting contrast to the first two movies, and that was 96 and 98. And uh, it, it, that's where I first came into contact with him. And, and I think, because break, Breaking the Waves is entirely in English, it made Emily Watson, uh, who I think is an incredible actress. Uh, and so, and, and she, it was the first film I saw, and I think she's fantastic, yeah. both as an incredibly attractive woman and, and a great actress. And well, nice that you got that in the right order, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas the film used so many cliches about disability in particular that really depressed me. But I know a lot of people really liked it because, and I think this is another thing, say, talking about Nymphomaniac. Nymphomaniac is not about nymphomania. No, I don't believe. It's not about that at all. And it's the same with most of his films. They're not about what they seem to be about. And he does that in Breaking Ways. I just didn't like it. He does it in The Idiots, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. So that's how I came to him. Yeah, and it's um, it's, it's, it's very interesting story for me as well, or at least I think it is. Um, I was studying uh, media at uh, A-level, and the teacher in charge was in charge of what modules we were doing. And at the time, we were doing musicals. Uh, and I, you're looking at the list thinking, where the bloody hell's the music? I, I, know <laughs> you where the music. I know where the you music know. is. You um, know. Well, the anti-musical, as it turns out. Um, and uh, uh, obviously at that point, I was at the impressionable young age where I was just kind of absorbing all these kind of different countries' films and all the rest of it from being pretty much just limited to horror stuff in my youth yep. and uh, American Hollywood crap, really. Um, having sat through some truly awful Judy Garland movies, multicoloured cakes, you know, holding hands down the street and all the rest of it, really awful 
Hats and top hats and the like. Got through all of those, felt completely disillusioned with the whole thing. And then one day she said, I want you, to, I want you all to, for some work to do before next week. I want you all to go and find out who Lars von Trier is and watch Dancer in the Dark. Or rather, you can watch, we'll, we'll watch Dancer in the Dark when you come back next week. Yeah. And I thought, never heard of the guy, don't know what this is. And Dancer in the Dark is probably the film in my lifetime that's had the most influence on me. Because it opened it opened me to a world of cinema that I'd never seen up to that point. Where, as you say, the sur- what is on the surface is not important. Mm. It's not what's, what the film's really about, what's central to the whole you know, ideology mm. behind everything. Mm. And it was that film that did it. And not only was it a, a stunningly brilliant film, um, it introduced me to Bjork as well. <laughs> and I've got a tattoo of her. And just because I want to, tell us, tell us, <laughs> tell us a bit about the character she plays. She plays a Czech immigrant called Selma. And what's happening to her? <laughs> she's, uh, she's disabled. Yeah, she's going blind. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, it's a cracking film. Oh, absolutely. It, and the music's really, really good in it. She's good in it. She, she's, I wish... I, she fell out with the whole process of acting. She fell out with... She famously had lots of fights with Lars von Trier during that film because she wanted Selma to go in a different direction than Lars yeah. was going to do. Yeah. Um, and she won't ever act again. But she's really good in it. And the song that won the Oscar, I believe, mm. with t- singing with Tom York from Radiohead, good stuff. But I, I think it's a great film. I it, it is. I it, and it, uh, it's, a, it's a good subject. I think it does well. It's original. It's you know, and, and, it, and it's got an, Catherine Deneuve, who was yeah. probably one of the most beautiful women the women in the world. She looks, even, even then, she looks rough as houses in this film. <laughs> rough as houses, <laughs> and and it makes her act, which is nice because often she just. Did you know that they planned to originally cover her face in cork because the one <laughs> in burnt cork because they wanted her to be a black character? Did you know that? Can you oh, imagine, if only can you he imagine had done Ka- that. Can you imagine Catherine Deneuve blacked up, blacked up? <laughs> <laughs> Dear me, uh, but what I mean, amazing, amazing film, really, really. Uh, it, it, it's, but like the rest of them, they're not for everyone. Now, the reason that for, we'll talk about *Nymphomaniac* shortly. The reason that I, I would, I think we're going to have this as a joint nomination for film of the year. Mm-hmm. I'd be surprised if it isn't. Mm-hmm. But the reason that this is actually my favourite von Trier film is something that I'm, I'm actually quite surprised that I, I'd like about this particular film and him is that this is actually, remarkably enough, his most accessible film. <laughs> Considering the subject matter and the way that he goes about it, yep. I think this has a lightness of touch that I don't think he's ever actually done before, which is remarkable, considering we had no idea... I'd, obviously, I had no idea how good this was going to be. And I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago about the fact that Vinterberg, Thomas Vinterberg is the Danish director that has the lightness of touch with The Hunt to to open up to the masses and forge himself a career in Hollywood. Now, Von Trier will never go to Hollywood, but this film has gone down remarkably well everywhere. And normally it's just for me and you and he's mm. he's a few thousand fans in in the UK that would would normally get some out of it. I I'm not a fan of everything he does. Even, oh even sure, not. sure, sure, sure. For example, uh, Mandalay and Dogville, uh, I didn't like them. They were okay because okay. because I have a big problem with theatre. Yeah, and they were very theatrical pieces. And I um, mean, these literally are theatre pieces because yes. they are they are no props. Everything is done with hand gestures, like you open doors. Absolutely. It's like it's like going back to drama. Except they're not theatre pieces. So I like his yeah, originality yeah. Yeah, yeah. of actually creating theatre for the screen rather than just it is a theatre piece. And I, I think that was a, a brave thing to do. It's just something I don't like. Yeah. Uh, and so that was a big problem for me. But I think if you haven't seen the boss of it all, 
Have you ever seen the boss of it? We've talked about that, I believe. Have we? Many, many, many years ago. It must have been many because I think that's a cracking little. It is. Film, it's a good actually. little comedy. It's. It is. It's a comedy, and it's a really, really good movie. And I, I would say, if you want an introduction and a, a, a nice, easy introduction. Get the boss of it all because I think that's a cracking film. Yeah, I wonder about the kingdom as well. Do you think uh, th- that's basically like ER with a real sense of humour, and he, uh, it's kind of like David Lynch mixed with ER. Would you go along with that? Yeah, yeah. And if if that if that appeals to you, yeah. then you'll love the kingdom. Uh, it's, so, it's it's because uh, he did a couple of series of that. He did a couple he? of so, that, so and, and then they were, they were planning to do a third series, and then of course the lead actor who's, who escapes me died, and without him, who, who was central to it all. Yeah. I think I think the scripts are kind of somewhere out there for you to, but oh, that's not the same. I refuse to do it. It's like when they cancelled the Borgias and they announced they're going to put the script for the final, the final series on into an e-book. I don't want to. I don't want. You know, I want to watch Jeremy Irons do it himself. I don't want to read a script of it. But I mean, you know, we could be here all day talking about Bomb Trees filmography. He ain't for everyone, that's for sure. Um, but it's interesting because, like, uh, looking up because because he, he's he's fifty eight now. He's fifty eight next month. Yeah, which looked- surprised me. It does, and, and equally because, like, if you're talking about breaking the waves, that that's only 28. So he was knocking on kind of like 30. He's then. late to this. He's late, and and, it, and I think that's fascinating. Although he's been knocking them out uh, probably in Denmark for quite a while before. Yeah, then. quite a few shorts as well. Yeah, mainly shorts by the look of it, and some intellectual stuff. It, it you you forget that he he is he's much older than you think, and he's been doing it for quite a long time as well, but only 20 years, and I think. So the range of films he's done, and in fact, I think I saw Europa, but I didn't put that together that that was him, because that was ninety one. So again, you're talking twenty three, twenty four years ago. Yeah, because he did it, it, he did an E trilogy, he called it, which was the element of crime, epidemic, and Europa. So yeah, all, all of which are very, very peculiar with, that involve the occasional monkey on screen. Yeah, and, and that was like Nazis, wasn't it? Europe. Yeah, there, there was. Yeah, and, and I think late eighties, early nineties, there was a lot of kind of German Nazi stuff from the, from uh, from Europe that got quite a lot of coverage. It wasn't necessarily all good. I mean, so how, how would you summarise generally the films of Lars von Trier if it's if it's possible to do such a thing? It's very difficult to. Cause I, it... I think that what they are, they're exploring ideas that are close to his heart through the medium of film. And I think he said at one point, he said, basically, I'm afraid of everything in life except filmmaking. And I think it's where he explores the fears he has of life in the filmmaking. And that's a good way into him, really. That's that's, that's a fantastic quote. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely. I didn't know that, actually. Um, in fact, in fact a, few, a few films ago, Antichrist. Yeah. Um, divisive. Beautifully made, though. Well acted, well acted by all, particularly... Well, well acted by all. Um, that he basically said on that one. I hope you like it. I want you to like it. But I made this film for me because it was an, it was a film entirely about mental illness, which he was suffering at the time. And that's why, when you say he's fifty eight, you're not sure why, because all he did he was a youngish looking older man Absolutely. for most of the two thousands, and then he had a breakdown. And Antichrist was his first film after his breakdown, and he has aged. Yeah. Very, very badly. Absolutely. Much like myself. (laughs) I could possibly say. And I think he's putting on the weight like bigger as well. But but I think, and the other thing to remember is, is if in doubt, you'll always probably get a little bit of real sex as opposed to simulated (laughs) close-up. Because even in The Idiots, there's there's, there's some real sex, wasn't there? You know, and that's that's 16, 17 years ago, and there's some real sex in there between a couple of actors. And I mean, close-up stuff, which you get in... uh, 
a lot of the more recent stuff. So, so and again, it's the idea that he's out to shock. It's he's not doing anything he hasn't particularly done in the past. No, but he's doing it in a way that's more uh, concentrated, more focused, and more intense. That makes uh, you know. I expected to hate *Nymphomaniac*. Uh, but I, I think it's an excellent. excellent I, I, you see, film. I never go into any Von Trier film expecting to hate it. Well, I, I think I, because I, I, I think back to Dogville and Mandalay. Oh God, you know, because sometimes that kind of art filmmaker he is is he can get far too intellectual for his own good, and and this has its moments, uh, but I think he just manages to pull back from it. Talking about real sex. Shall we start talking about that? Um, Nymphomaniac, we'll start with volume one. Um, we are introduced to the character played by uh, Charlotte Gainsbourg, who was in Antichrist. Uh, uh, and she, isn't she in uh, Melancholia as well? Um, yes, yeah, yeah. she, she plays one of the sisters right. opposite Kirsten yeah. Dunst. Very quickly yeah. about that, actually. Did you know that um, Penelope Cruz was lined up to, to play opposite Charlotte Gainsbourg? Oh, in, the luckiest. In right. Melancholia. <laughs> but, what's inter- but I don't know who, who to lucky escape for, because... We're, it's a lucky escape oh, for Lars von Trier. Well, but, but then, but, well, but then, <laughs> for her, she she, did, she moved. She 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 said no to Lars von Trier. Well, she said yes to him, and then she ran away because she was offered a part in, in Pirates of the Caribbean three, which was a truly awful Pirates film. So nobody really won because he ended up with a sister who was blonde and a sister who was brunette, which didn't really work. Although Kirsten Dunst was actually pretty good, I thought in that film, one of her best. Yeah, she wasn't too bad. Um, she makes a lot of crap. That's got to be said. Oh. Right? Right. <laughs> We could make it short with her, and it'd be one of the best. Oh, oh true. Yeah, but she always takes her clothes off at some point, so it's a blessing, really. Ah, uh, but she's one of no, those I mean, skinny, anemic women. No, yeah, well, horrible. That's all right. Um, anyway, <laughs> back on track, I think. But anyway, that's a little story about um, about Charlotte Gainsbourg and this character she plays. Um, we well, tell you what, you're, you're the best at explaining. Brief synopsis of film. So you Brief go synop- ahead. Basically, she, the film is basically follows her from being uh, in flashback, told by stories in that chapters. She's, in chapters that she's she's been injured somewhere. Someone's rescued her, and she's telling them her life story. She's telling Stellan Stellan Skarsgård again, fantastic actor. Yeah. Uh, her life in in these uh, eight chapters over two movies, and it's basically explores from growing up. Uh, with her parents, one's a doctor and her mother's a bit cold towards her and she becomes obsessed with having sex and having sex on trains with lots of people and then with different lovers, different experiences until she ends up where she is at the end which is injured in the street to be picked up by Stan Skargard. Indeed. And, That's uh, it, really. Uh, it is. And the twist, well, not really a twist you find out early on, is that uh, Stan Skargard's character is actually a Christian virgin. Yes, so you've got the two. You obviously you've obviously got the sex maniac telling the story, and you've got the virgin listening to her. Mm-hmm. So straight away you think, right, where can this go? And as you say, across eight chapters it goes. I don't know about yourself, Paul, but for me, I enjoyed volume one the most. Uh, I think I enjoyed them equally. I, I enjoyed them both a lot, but I, so, and I'll tell you why I liked volume one in, in a short while, particularly one one of the chapters just was truly, truly outstanding. But yeah, as a whole, definitely, I am glad he did split it into two. It does work, work out quite nicely how he did it. But um, I think I think I enjoyed Volume 1 just a, a tad more. Explain why. Um, should we skip straight ahead to Chapter 4 then? Go on then. Delirium. Mm-hmm. So up to this point, we've seen Charlotte Gainsbourg. I'm going to keep calling her Charlotte Gainsbourg. <laughs> Joe. Joe, that's right. Joe, the character Joe. is Joe. 
And, and mainly in the first film, it's... First uh, chapter, it's, it's, it's hers her, and as a child. But equally, volume one is basically the, the flashbacks in the storytelling are the young actress playing her, yeah. by and large. It's only perhaps in the latter volumes that actually you start to see her being played by Charlotte Pendle. That's true, yes. So, so in fact, the, the Stacey Martin as young Joe is much more dominant for the first film, yeah? Yeah, she, that's right. And, she, and she's actually quite good, isn't she? Uh, she's not too bad. She's she could do with a good meal, but you know yeah. that's, <laughs> that's well, my preference. Well, the moment, well, she was after some chocolate things. <laughs> was she not? Some sweets. <laughs> but before we talk about delirium, let's actually talk about that. I'm going to have to apologise to every feminist I know. You know that. Yeah. <laughs> Me and you both, really. But <laughs> we're, 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 we're talking about all this stuff for the right reason, anyway. Um, so then, on the train. Yeah. That's the complete angler one chapter. Yeah. One. Chapter yeah. One, yeah, let's go back before we skip ahead. So yeah, that one, so, absolutely bizarre, bizarre. Like, how do you possibly contemplate that being a thing? But you do believe it because it looks real, and it, and it's certainly ain't no worse than a couple of prostitutes going down a train carriage, or even any mode of transport. But they go down having a competition. There's two girls, her and her friend, seeing who can have sex with most people yeah. to have the to win a jar of sweets, jar of chocolates at the end. <laughs> Which they then share, so it's not much of a competition. Uh, and it's funny because there was a couple of things in it that I that had a terrible foreboding for me, in the sense I think it might ruin it, in the sense that it obviously isn't England, no, but it's all supposed to be in England. So they pay with pounds. The train yeah. driver, and everybody speaks in English. The train driver's wearing British Rail. And of course, but it's obviously not a British train. And, and none of this kind of like a countryside. It looks like one of those Russian trains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, that made me feel a little uncomfortable. I got over that. Yeah, because yeah. you just have to go with it. Uh, and then in the second chapter, when you get uh, the, the great Sheila Beef. Great, it's ironic. Ah, but you see, uh, putting on an English accent as well, and I, it, it, I was a bit perturbed, but I got over it all. I didn't have a problem with it, and I, I think it worked all right. Shyla Burfe impressed me, I, and I have to say, I have to say, like we, we I think we've mentioned, <clears throat> maybe off the podcast, but when we saw uh, Leonardo DiCaprio finally grow up, mm. and he, and, and for once we, we saw him as a male actor. I have to say this: I think this is Shyla Burfe's equivalent. It's so nice to see him do a some serious acting, b looking like an adult, not running around chasing skirts or anything else that he likes to get up to. Robots, you know. Yeah. It's like this for me was one of the truly great surprises of this film. Was how good Shia LaBeouf was as an interest because you let's catch up with the story after the train incident. Skip you, skip ahead a few years. She's grown up and just get her first serious job, and she starts to get interested. More, into more serious kind of sex, doesn't she? Really, the more yeah. to, she actually wants to settle down with somebody. By she's kind of had enough sleeping around for a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she'll re, she'll revisit that throughout the rest of the film. Um, on and she, off, she so on and off, <laughs> in and out, on and off. But she gets um, she she starts to she takes a serious job in a I'm not quite sure what office it is. It's a card printing place. A card printing place. They print cards and stationery. And Charlotte Berth plays a character who is basically head of the company, or at least you think he is. He's actually acting head yeah. for his father. Yeah. Um, I thought this is a rather excellent chapter as well. I mean, which I, chapter was that? Is that Delirium? Jerome? Yes, Jerome. Jerome isn't Jerome when he's uh, when he's a young lad who takes a virginity. 
Ah, is that oh Mrs. Yeah. H, Mrs. H is the chapter, isn't it? It could well be Mrs. H, the Uma Thurman one. Oh, I didn't like that bit. No, Uma Thurman. So, not an actress I'm a big It's um, so as much as Shia LaBeouf does well in the in the scenes when she's working in the office doing a dead end job. Hmm. I I I was I I didn't I didn't know it was Uma Thurman until yeah. the credits. She looks. <laughs> how do you think about the way she looks? Uh, well, I suppose because I knew it was Uma Thurman, so I didn't... No, you didn't notice? Yeah, because I'd looked up who was in it, and, and so you see... So I genuinely had no idea. Uma Thurman, you think, oh. But I understand what you're saying, because you do, you think... You have to do it almost like an about turn. It's like, oh, yeah. right. And, yeah. and I, I wasn't... I, I appreciated that scene... Cause she was it's a bit about, cold. Because uh, Joe is, uh, says to one of her lovers... He's in love with her, you know. You'll never leave your wife, and so go away. And then, to her great surprise, he leaves his wife. Yeah. And then the wife turns up with the kids to to meet her, and and she, and the, she wants to show the kids. They're all very young, the whore's bed and things like that. And it's a very emotionally intense scene, and, and you could almost say theatrical, but done in a very cinematic way. That's very good. Uh, and that's her character. So she is a bit of a, a screaming harrod. <laughs> But again, it's part of the kind of whole scenario. But again, come back to Charlie Booth because I because did you see him in the unnecessary death of Charlie something or other? No. Well, and again, because that's where he's starting to try and learn to act as opposed to be the superstar. Yeah. And I think that was done either just before or just after this, and you could see him wanting to move into being taken as a serious actor, which I think is a good thing. The haircut's a good thing. As yeah, well. it's a good. So thing. That's a step in the right direction. And let's just hope it ends the Transformers. Charles, <laughs> but it pro- won't. Well, no, because Michael Barry's having too much fun fucking well, people about with it. And equally, Shia LaBeouf probably likes getting paid ten, twenty million pictures, dollars a picture, and, and standing opposite a beautiful actress. Yeah, well, oh, who can blame him really? You mean well, another he, thin anorexic? But we well, won't go. Well, yeah, he, he had a fair share this time, didn't he? As well, to be <laughs> honest. Uh, the tranquility of these office scenes, though, mm. it's very voluntary. Event. I mean, generally speaking, I mean, to be fair, there is some music we'll talk about later on mm-hmm. in this. In this, and actually. Some rather odd choices in music that reminds me of other directors altogether. Um, and in fact, we talked about uh, Beneath the Waves, that, that, sorry, Breaking the Waves. Breaking the waves. That was easily the worst thing for me about that movie was the choice of music. Mm. Like in between chapters, like Elton John would play or like XTC or whoever else, but I don't know who else was on there. You just think it doesn't really work. What's nice is that there was, particularly early on, so you could ease into it. It was a nice, I say it was a nice gentle stroll, it wasn't. Because you had to be quite alert, but it just came out. This beautifully made cinema just came at you, very, very quiet, silent cinema. Especially as the opening credits are with this awful heavy metal, yeah, music. Which again, uh, that whole beginning, I'm quite anxious about watching it. But again, it worked quite well because I think it ends with that kind of heavy metal music as well. Uh, and at the interval in between the two, yeah, act, two and, acts, and so. Uh, but I, I think the music worked very well, even the classical music he uses. And again, I think if you know classical music and you know all about it, it will add to your enjoyment of the film. I, it, not knowing about it, I don't think, affects how you see it, other than you're, you're, you're seeing different types of music being picked. But again, that's the, the joy of Lars von Trier, is that I think each piece of music is very specifically and intentionally there for some reason. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I don't know that much about music, so I'm not going to get it. But I think if you do, given that a lot of the film, and again, as I said before, it's not about being a benefomaniac. To me, it's about believing God and Jesus. That's what this film is about. It's about religion. 
And I think the music is very precisely about that. The fugues and the, the kind of... Uh, those other kind of religious things, uh, music types that they, they all talk about, that's all in there. And I think it'll add to your enjoyment of it. Yeah, it's another angle as well, isn't it? Yeah, the requiems. I think there's a couple of requiem bits in there. Yeah, I mean, we'll get, we'll get on to that later on because yeah. uh, that's all the, all, the, all the Bach stuff as well. Very, yeah. very, 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 Absolutely. very, very interesting. Um, and intentional. So up, up, you know, the first, you're looking at the, the first three chapters. We have had lots of sex. We've learnt about her growing up, her childhood, and I, I like the way that actually a childhood wasn't explicitly explored. Like we, we we cannot assume she had a bad one. In fact, we only ever really saw the good bits because she had a great relationship with her father, mm-hmm. who who will be appearing in a very different way in chapter four, which yep. we're talking about in moments. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting because, of course, it's very easy, it's a very safe thing to do to say, this person is a maniac of this or a maniac of that because this person had a bad childhood, but she didn't. Yeah. So that is very different for me, quite brave as well. Because mm. I could easily have met, I mean, fair enough, she didn't get on with her mother, and you see very, very little of her mother. Um, but she was very, very close to her father. Um, so on the one hand, you, do, you, you get the sense of why she was obsessed with sex because she had no female character in her life to guide her. And I, I, I would presume her father would give him the would give her the male kind of the the male angle of all, of all things. So she know what to do with that. But yeah. in terms of her own sexual well being and the rest of it, she wouldn't have learned anything from a mother figure. So who never actually speaks, does she? No, she never speaks within it. It's entirely the father who speaks. Who's played by Christian Slater again? Who I've always been a bit of a secret fan of Christian Slater. Uh, he, he's, he's not for everyone, though, is he? Uh, he isn't, and I think one of my problems here is is that he doesn't. Uh, he's one of those actors who doesn't age because he isn't young. No, no. Uh, he's probably my age by now, but he doesn't change at all, yeah. uh, which is a bit disturbing given that, that you do have quite a lot of age difference between when he first appears and when he when he dies, and it's it's quite uh, again more peace and tranquility though. Yeah. And there's a lot of scenes in beautiful forests, walking, tidying like what trees are and what leaves are. Really, really nice stuff. And then things turn, for the first time in the film, extremely dark. Um, to, to me, the, the highlight of the entire film was chapter four entitled Delirium. Mm. Um, and I know you've got a quote as well that you're going to mention to do with, it, with this kind of thing. Um, he, her, her dad, and again, explicitly so, horrible graphic detail about some sort of illness that his father has got, and it's shot in black and white, which is extremely effective. Mm-hmm. I welled up a little bit, but that might have been due to the copious amounts of sudden comfort I got through up to that point. <laughs> Not because it was a bad film, but because I was just in my absolute element. Um, but it was, for me, this is one of Von Trier's finest moments in cinema in his career. Yeah. It was so impeccably. And, and I think what he does very well is, because is, you, you keep talking about the tranquility, but then there are. There are... Parallel moments. There are moments of absolute loud, in your crescendo face. Yeah. and chaos. Yeah, and it's the, it's that combination of those two often following one another within the same scene. So the father is all tranquil, talking about his love of trees. Then all of a sudden he's out of bed, screaming, shitting himself, all of those kind of things, and it's just so different. And I think he does that very, very well. We and and again, we don't know what he's got, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I, th- I think, that but was, so wouldn't, yeah. so, wouldn't wouldn't so many other people say yeah. he has cancer, he has something, 
Yeah. But th- there is absolutely no clue anywhere what he's got. It, yeah. it, and he's not even he's not even that older person in the film, is he? Well, and it's almost as if he's, he's kind of like... He's trying to be anti what they teach you when you write screenplays, is to, to give people depth. The father doesn't really have any depth. No. Partly because it's not about the father, no, it's no. about her. Yeah. And so she sees a very one-dimensional version of her father, which she loves. Yeah. And so it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter what he's dying of, it's that he's dying. Yeah. And yeah. that's all that matters to her. And that when he dies, he's dead, not that he's died of something. And and I think he does that very well, but that gives the depth to the central character, but it doesn't waste time on the minor characters. Or give you unnecessary extrapolation and additional points that, that really don't matter to the key character. It's about her experience of her father dying, full stop. And it is absolutely brutal. Yes. If, if I suspect, if you when, when people if they have, I mean, clearly the people listening to us now have seen it. Um, I would imagine that most people would have seen something similar in their own families or friends or families or what, whatever. Mm-hmm. And it, it it's just impeccably made. Yeah. And. That for me is almost von. P- um, I'm going to say von Pira is Treek. Von Trier at his peak. Um, I don't think he could probably do anything better for the rest of his act- his filming life than that particular chapter. Yep. Just impeccably made and well acted by all. And then we need a bit of light. And the, the film is all about light and shade. I mean, we move on to something a bit more lighter for the final for the final um, chapter of Volume One, and that's where particularly the religious side comes in. The music comes in. And the music of Bach mm. makes an appearance. Now, particularly interesting, uh, Stensgaard character, he's obviously the religious character in the film, and he goes into really, really genuinely interesting detail about the structure of Bach's music. Mm. And Von Trier shows his arty side and shows lots of pictures of well, various things, really, isn't it? Absolutely. And even, Absolutely. Some, even some like graphics on the screen whilst he's talking... Over his face, like massive numbers, massive letters, and all the rest of it. What do you think about Montreal doing that thing? Because it's not a thing he's done a lot of. I, 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 I think he did it very well. I think again because this is a film about ideas and beliefs. And again, as I said, I think it's about faith, uh, and it's about belief. And and I think the end quote of the the first chapter is when the central character basically says, basically, we are all just waiting for permission to die. And that is the film. Yeah. Uh, that sums up the film for me perfectly, both volumes. And I think the way he uses graphics, because often you see directors now using graphics because they're trying to be clever yeah. or they're trying to be witty. And I think everything is both explanatory, because again, I don't think he has a problem with educating us. No. Uh, and again, not. because he's exploring such a depth of ideas that often we need it explaining to us. I yeah. need it explaining to me. And so he explains uh, Fenerbahce, not Fenerbahce. Uh, that would be a Turkish yeah, football team. That would be, <laughs> uh, the number systems, and that keeps coming up in relation to her losing her virginity, one, three, five, etc. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think he did it in a way that, that added to it, rather than you just thought, let's bang it in because it'll, it'll liven it up, which is what you usually get in Hollywood and you get elsewhere. So I think... It, I think it all round he does it exceptionally well and again because again uh, the chapter headings most films that have chapter headings usually it's a sign of weakness 
but uh, this because is, they think you're going to yeah. get lost, yeah. or they're trying to ramp some point. Oh, you see, you see, us von Trier fans know that this is his strength. Yeah. He's in, he, even in his weaker films, he, the chapter headings have always been yeah. spot on. And, and yeah. it clearly, he's telling you this is a story. Yeah. Uh, and so, volume one, chapter one, and you can almost leave verse, line. It, it's almost like a Bible. Uh, and you've almost, and again, yeah. I don't want to bring it back to it, but again, you've got the the, uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament is there in volume one, volume two. So it's all there. And I think it's it, it does it fantastically. And and it's, it's a difficult thing, because if someone said to me, go and see a good film, I wouldn't recommend this, because you're going to have to think. Yeah, you're gonna to have to be challenged. It helps. It, it, it helps by far and away. It helps if you know his work and you know him. And because you, you, you're done by yourself, but when you know you're gonna watch a Trier, you automatically get yourself in a certain headspace. When yeah. where you, just to prepare yourself for what you're about to see is going to be challenging in every single way. And you know, and again, you'd have to explain to people, you are going to get explicit sex, both you know, uh, penile penetration fingering the whole kit and caboodle and, and it ain't simulated you know they use porn doubles all that stuff and you are there and there's abuse and everything and that's what you're going to get and again <clears throat> it's nothing new and it's no. nothing that you won't see elsewhere quite often in contemporary yeah. society either inversely or implied in a way to mystify it rather than actually say this is the reality it, it isn't good and it, it's not He's not praising it. He, in fact, I'd say he's quite condemnatory of it. Yes, yeah. <clears throat> but it's there, and so it's a it's a difficult film because most people who I know who go to cinema won't go and see those kind of things. But no. it's there. Uh, but I'd still recommend it. I think the line that I think she 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 brings out as we as we move on to the beginning of volume two. Um, at some point in volume two, she mentions she just comes out and says, "My cunt isn't working anymore," or at least she thinks it doesn't work. She's not being satisfied enough with what sex she's getting, so there's a there's it's a very very complicated thing. We could be, as you say, I don't think we can say whether von Trier is praising or condemning men or women, sex or no sex. Well, and I think there is a male maniac in it. That's Jamie Bell. Well, well, <laughs> ah, but I think that that's thrown in as a parallel. But is he a maniac of... because he doesn't actually do that much sex? Uh, it's a different kind of maniac. It, 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 well, he's a fetish. I'd say it's a different. He's a fetishist. Yeah, and it's it's about violence and abuse. Yeah, uh, beginning and but equally, I quite like that in the sense that 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 scenario in that because it's not about the, the people he's doing it to. So it isn't personal. And again, I think that's where he's getting that whole notion of faith and belief in loving what you're doing uh, in the kind of religious sense that the Jamie Bell character who is very difficult to watch along, I, 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 along I, with the paedophile I think paedophile yes but I, I, but I think I, I, this is probably my second favourite chapter in the film yeah um, because of Jamie Bell I thought he was completely mesmerising and again we've mentioned it already growing up now Jamie Bell hasn't grown up for a lot. Even when he, even when he was in King Kong, King Kong, he just looked like a kid still. Yeah. For him to play something from ballet dancing to something like this, yeah. that is growing up. Anything that can rub out the memory of Billy Elliot is Indeed. fucked by me. And this, if this doesn't do it, getting adult work now, I don't know what will. So she comes out and Joe comes out and says, "My cunt isn't working," and she goes off to see. But the again, interesting. Because I don't know about yourself, Paul, but when when she's sitting outside his room, which 
it's not by any means an office. It's more like an apartment, just an everyday apartment. Yeah, I was going to say, it's like a council block. Council you know, block, so. yeah. And this, this, she is is there with two other um, people. Now you know she's she she's gone there because she's 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 struggling sexually. Mm. Um, she's oversexed, if you will. But at no point do you actually realise that who is that? Who is who is this Jamie Bell character? He he just he doesn't have a job title. No. There's no like name on the door. There's no kind of any hint whatsoever about if he is a doctor. Or if it's something else, yeah. and that never ever gets explored, does it? Which adds to this rather, well, no, unsettling. Quite quite a few scenes with Jamie Bell, and the and the, there and the are spre- quite a few scenes. The, the spread Bell. over the spread over throughout Volume Two. As they well. are indeed, and and, and I must say, it do, I don't get bored of watching those scenes. But but I think again, it's very interesting. Like when she says that you know my cunt doesn't work. And I think, uh, and again, it falls into the rest of the film because it is about what it's about for me, is that notion of wanting to feel life. Yeah. And and as a woman, she thinks and has been brought up to feel through her sexual uh, preferences and what she does, that it's through her genitals. And and so when you get... Whereas Stensgaard is obviously the opposite. Absolutely. He's the music and the, and and the Bible. And purity. Yeah. Yeah. But they're both the same thing and they're both attempts to feel, which is why, again, a very religious thing is the self-flagellation where you beat yourself yeah. uh, and you punish yourself. Now, this scene's gone for quite some time, and though. she though. does that. Yeah. Both to herself, there's a bit where she starts uh, abusing her... Her nether region as well. with with a towel because yeah. she can't feel it, and then what he does, uh, the Jamie Bell character, as the, the kind of torturer, is is a sign, kind of similar kind of way. And I think it's the 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 bizarrest thing I would say is if you are highly educated theologian in both Catholicism and Protestantism. You will get the most out of this, yeah. and yet they're the people who will most unlikely see it, or or, or 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 be able to allow themselves to engage with what it's exploring, and, and that, and he knows that. So, for example, the story about the Eastern and the Western Church, with the subtitle of "The Silent Duck," yeah, she tells the story of the Eastern and the Western Church, and that's a good Christianity, yeah. an enjoyable Christianity, yeah. and a kind of bleak, suffering, bleak, suffering Christianity. Yeah. And you never get the mention of the duck, and then it ends, and, and he's oh yeah, the duck. and then he says to her, "Oh, what's the Silent Duck?" And then <laughs> they go back to that, and of course, it's a sexual thing of fingering in yeah, a particular yeah. way, and then there's some humour. And again, he's playing yeah. with. Oh, you thought I was just going to do a load of sex in this, and I didn't. Oh, but here it is, because I'm going to take the piss out of you. <laughs> you can relax now, do and you're Oh, here you come. <laughs> Absolutely. And, but he's playing with that. And again, yeah. it, it's not like it's anything he hasn't done in the prayer for. And there is a bit of sex in the, in the, the bit anyway. But I, I really think the way he does that, and, and because although it is mainly about the woman, it is about how we are all fucked up entirely by that desire that we think we should feel life yeah. when in fact uh basically we are all is, just waiting for permission to all, die all there is is death yeah uh, and yeah. so and, and we, we're born we live and we die alone end of story and it's that what religion is that attempt to search for meaning and feeling yeah. she's doing through sex you know the the, the kind of celibate guys and, and the men are as well and it's basically just man we're fucked up and, and I think this does it so well. And I, 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 I think the Eastern and the Western Church chapter 
was very good, but I like the last chapter as well, the gun. But in between that and the and the, and the gun, we are we are introduced to probably a grown up daughter of Joe, Joe's daughter that comes from the relationship with Charlotte Booth. Yeah, um, and that brought along with it an interesting. I thought it was a son actually. Daughter, is it called Marcel? Um, I, I'll take your word for it. No, it doesn't matter. No, no, no. That's the thing. It doesn't it, even it, matter. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you're right. just a child. No, you, you're right. The, the, there is a son, but she also adopts a daughter, does she oh. not? Who she who she then get she then gets to work for her and her company. Ah, oh, yes. yes, yes. Now you know what I'm talking now about. Now I know what you mean. Um, the deformed one. Yes. Now this is a, a rather. I didn't see this coming at all. No, because we, we are that we are again introduced. To, That's very true. We are introduced to an actor who, again who is an Antichrist opposite Charlotte Gainsbourg. Yeah. Uh, and where where were you at this point? Because up to this point, we'd be following we'd be we'd be following some sort of a straightforward narrative. Indeed. Frankly, Indeed. basically the life of this woman and just her life and her relationships. And then the adopted daughter comes in. Mm-hmm. Well, the, and she actually becomes quite prevalent, isn't she? Well, because she takes up a job, and yeah. again, this is probably needs to be explained. Uh, Charlotte Gainsborough takes up a job as a as a debt collector, yeah. basically extorting people for money. And she goes around and she uh, threatens or uh, even has sex with, uh, relieves in particular ways, men. And and she meets William Defoe, who is her, basically her agent. He if there's anyone dead. out there listening who doesn't like William Defoe, <laughs> then I, I, I'm struggling. <laughs> and he says, well, you, you need to be able to hand on the business to someone. And he lines her, her up with this uh, young girl with a deformed ear, which is, which again, uh, I'm going disability, quite, quite yes. random, but it means so much because it's about what you hear. Yeah. It's about the deformity of hearing uh, religion, and that to me is what it's about. And I think, and that's what I love about Lars von Trier. Everything means something. Nothing is random. Uh, wasn't, uh, there, wasn't there a story in, in the Bible where someone has their ears cut off? Yeah, I, was, you, so, I think there's a story in the Bible where everything is. <laughs> cut off. Uh, so yeah. So again, and again, I think this is a very interesting thing about European cinema that you don't particularly get in British and Hollywood cinema, is the way that all Europeans have a very deeply religious upbringing. Yeah. And Scandinavians in particular, with a kind of uh, Calvinistic Protestantism. Uh, So, for example, in Finland, you pay tax to the church. Yeah. And I think that's quite common in a lot of... You can choose not to, in which case you don't pay it to the church, you pay it to the state. But it's automatically presumed that you will pay an element in tax to yeah. the church. And again, that that's an amazing fact if you don't live in those countries. And, and to some extent... I mean, uh, Matterhorn yeah. in Holland, an incredibly uh, incredibly religious film. It's Absolutely. Just, you know, and I, and I one of the best films of last year, if, by the way. If you were... The best film I've seen, but uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I won't go that far. <laughs> but it, but it is it is fascinating how uh, that's the case. I think I completely forgot what I was talking about. But that that notion of of those the the deformed ear, that's yeah. it. And and so she then brings her in, and of course the the uh, the pupil becomes the master. And the pupil takes over everything that she's held. So, for example, uh, she has to go and get the debt off of Jerome. Yes. And she can't do it, so she lets the, the, the young apprentice take it on, and then the young apprentice takes Jerome. Uh, and, and so 
it, it's it's very cyclical, very yeah. like, like religion, very like the New Testament, which is what Volume Two is. Um, this, but this, this uh, t- everything's tied up quite nicely. Yeah. This this is why I think it's it's successful because people like everything tied up, and I, I like that. I'm sure you do occasionally as well. You do like a proper ending sometimes. Yeah. Um, before we do get to the ending, though, one of these scenes in this cha- in this uh, volume we, we can't fail to ignore is the scene with the paedophile. Yeah, where they go around to somebody's house to extort some money from somebody, and she 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 only ever extorts the money sexually. She never does it physically. She doesn't get. She doesn't shoot anybody. Yep. Not yet, anyway. She doesn't get violent with anyone, and she's she's there to exploit the sexual priviness of the clients, I yep. suppose. And she was for one particular character, and it's not at all obvious at, at the point uh, to, to the point where you're watching it. Absolutely. Until the very very last moment, she 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 makes up stories, doesn't she? To try well, she pulls his, she, they, they try and threaten him. They smash all of his, uh, all of his valuables, all of his valuables, and it's not working. So then she pulls his trousers down, ties him up, uh, and to, she tells him different kinds of stories to see what to see to what floats his boat, and yeah. see what will give yeah. him direction. And 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 basically, it comes out that he's a, a paedophile. Except, and I think she says this: he didn't know he was a paedophile. That's right. He pre- and that's why he was he's so, so repressed. That's why he was. That's why he, he ended up. In absolute devastation, absolutely, yeah, yeah. to agree to pay the debt, uh, and then she defends him, uh, saying, you know, that that must be so difficult to have a a sexual being that you must repress, and that most paedophiles do, and something that that's true. But again, it, it's it's exploring an issue. You think, oh goodness me, because again, you are even when you're watching it, you think, oh, where the, where where, the hell yeah. is this going to go? You feel guilty for for being. Interested in what you're watching because it's so deliberately so. Plus, difficult. it's not that long after where again he's played a little scene where what Charlotte Gainsborough is doing nearly needs leads to the death of her young child yeah. on the balcony, and I like the way he played with that and then sort of built up expectations and then pulled you back from it. But again, so it's that parallel of, and I think she uses the line she says it's about hypocrisy. That, that, that there's those who say the right things but do the yeah, wrong, yeah. and those who say the wrong things but do right. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I love that quote, because I'm a great believer in that. And I always use the example of disability. I know lots of people who will talk about me as a disabled person, who actually have no interest in inequality. And then I know people who may call me a spastic from the old time, the old language, yeah, yeah, yeah. who actually will then treat me as an equal. Just because they haven't got the language or even that that comprehension of what yeah. that means, and that that's a kind of simplest version of what this really pushes out, you know, big time on exploring that as an idea. Again, New Testament stuff, you know, do unto others as you do unto yourself, and and all that, and the forgiveness and yeah. the tolerance. It's not about revenge. The Old Testament stuff, eye for an eye. Yeah, yeah, and so absolutely brilliant, and. Again, Vontree always always has the the, the balance. It, it, pretty much in every scene, you've got two of everything, two sides. So he's obviously completely repressed, and Joe isn't anything but, and she hasn't been since she was a child. So in the same scene, at all times, you have to have your wits about you for at least two or three things happening at once, even if there's no music, even if there's even if there's no craziness, even if it's just ten minutes of idle chatter 
that's what makes Von Trier such a great director for me personally. And there's a lot of humour in there. There is. I mean, one thing we forgot about is when she was having. Uh, what well, she'd actually ne- she didn't have sex in the end with the, the two African blokes. Absolutely. Um, but that was inc- that was an incredibly funny scene, which was about masculinity and the fear of masculinity. Uh, well, and, and also comparing what you've got compared to what African men have got. <laughs> but, but actually, in looking at the cast, one of the things I thought that was very funny is there's three quite well known English actors in small roles: Caroline Goodall, Saskia Reed, and Hugo Spear. And I thought they all have something in common, and that's part. They're all minor characters. She's the, he's the husband of Mrs. H. Uh, Saskia Reeves is the nurse in the father dying, right? And right. Caroline Goodall is the therapist where she stands up and says, uh, "I'm proud of being a uh, right." Yeah. At, but they're all very well known. Yeah, they are yeah. in Denmark because one of the biggest hit programs in Denmark is Midsummer Murders. And they're all been in Midsummer Murders. And, and again, that's not random. No. He knew what he was doing. So you've got a certain type of programme and he's bringing them out of that and banging them into this thing. It's very different. And I love the humour of that because he was doing that intentionally. Plus there's a couple of great... Uh, Nicholas Bro, who's the one actually who does oral sex on her. Uh, he's one of my favourite Danish. He's the big fat guy. Yes, yes. And he Fantastic. is probably my current family favourite... Favorite Danish actor, along with Mads Mikkelsen. Well, lest we forget something that I've just remarkably reminded myself, and I can't believe I forgot it. Udo Kier, the great Udo Kier, in, in what has to be one of the greatest little cameos. <laughs> Should we talk? Yes. Let's talk about this. We have. If to... you're a kid and you saw Ace Ventura Pet Detective, <laughs> and he's the bad guy yeah. in that, then go and see this one as an adult. Slightly different. Slightly different. This, the, the, um, Joe and Jerome are having a meal in a restaurant. Indeed. And Jerome challenges Joe to... Secrete. To, to, spoons. to stick spoons up her cunt, <laughs> basically. And she do, not only does she do one spoon... If you're a regular listener, <laughs> this isn't turning you off, all right? We will get back to normal service. Normal this is a <laughs> unique kind of film. We've got to point that we out. Are, we are taking liberties with being explicit. Absolutely. Because ne- in a couple of weeks' time, we won't be. Yeah. We will barely swear. So we just, yeah. we're milking the moment for <laughs> our shame. But no, in all seriousness, <laughs> that is what she does. And not only does she do, she do, not only does she do one spoon, she does at least 30 spoons. She does a cutlery tray. Let's she does a cutlery tray. That. And for us, for us, and you know, you're listening to us right now, non-tree fans, for us... We're all in the same group here. It's not the same until you see... I was. I love Volume 1. I was really enjoying myself, but I thought, there's something missing here. And Udo Kier stepped in as the, as the, as the Camieri in Italian, the waiter and everywhere else. But, and, he but, put, and he pulled some fantastic Udo Kier faces with those sharp eyebrows. But God, it, I love Udo Kier. It's, it's comedy. It's done very well. It's humorous. It's Again, it's what you take it to extreme, what young lovers do. Uh, ridiculous things. Plus, it's actually a well-known Harpo Marx yes. sketch. Yes, that's is right. uh, stealing cutlery, yeah. and then when you leave, it all falls, it all falls out, out, out of different things. Yeah. And again, he's doing this <laughs> in a different kind of way. <laughs> but again, it's it's all there for a reason. It's all building up to something. It's all uh, about the meaning, and and that's again brilliant. I saw. Yeah, I mean. The, as as I'm sure people have gathered, and people have got their own. You've all got your own favorite moments. 
as for me, you've heard, they're spread out entire, uh, throughout the whole... There's something every step of the way, and even stuff we haven't even talked about that we've forgotten, there's stuff all the way through that just makes this, for me, that's a very strong candidate for film of the year. I'm going to obviously going to give every other film an equal chance, because that's, that's what we do on the podcast. Mm. Um, but it, 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 let's move on to the ending for this as we start to wrap this up. I was I was a little bit surprised by the ending. Very oh. pleasantly. I thought I knew what was going to happen. I then worked it out, and then I had my mind changed, and then I worked it out again. I I loved it. Mm. I absolutely loved the ending. It was. I thought, whilst not being perhaps as shocking as it as it's trying to be, I still think it's a cracking ending. And because we have warned about spoilers, people who have listened to us now have seen the film already. Uh, the ending is basically the story ends, and. Joe says, I think I've made my first true friend. Uh, Stensgard then goes off and, and uh, goes off to sleep in another room. She rolls over. She rolls over, and, uh, and which, which obviously makes one of her offices available. He then comes back as the Virginia Christian and tries to. He tries it on. Um, and then the gun, which is the, which is the name, which is the name of the final chapter, which she doesn't shoot Jerome with earlier on in the piece. Which is not really an important thing, which one really talked about it. She then actually does, in the end, use the gun. Ironically enough, because he explains to her why it how, didn't work before. Why it didn't work before. When so, she tried to kill Jerome. So that was a nice little anti Bush moment, I thought. Uh, um, <laughs> again, I, I, I. A gun toting uh, Christian, eh? Did you say an anti Bush moment? Might have been. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the irony of that. Anyway, <laughs> but I. I it's funny, I thought it was perfect. Yeah, it was. It was a perfect ending in the sense that uh, it's that whole, that other quote that I had written here of Von Trier says, everything is going to hell, but we should smile all the way. And it's that notion of everything is going to hell. So he had to have everybody going to hell. Yeah. And Melancholia, the world comes to an end, everyone dies. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a bit of a flashback to the Old Testament. Uh, it's kind of like an eye for an eye. Plus, it's about the lack of trust. It's about the lack of true love between people yeah. that's distorted through sex, faith, and the desire to give life meaning. And it all comes up to that. And, of course, all that there is at the end is death. Is, 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 is literally a black screen. Yeah, which absolutely. Is, which, which, is, which is, I'm reasonably sure, is what happens. Yeah, so. yep. I think it's... Uh, it, it worked exceptionally it did, well. Yeah. I think there's, and again, it's a difficult one because I know if some people who haven't seen it perhaps from this will think, "Oh, I'll go and see that." But again, you've got to be prepared because everything you think you might not like that might be in this is in it. Yeah, you know, without a doubt. Do you think? Do you think? Do you think it's a feminist film? I do. I do. I do. I think it, because it's it's as much about male masculinity as it is about female sexuality. And I think it is about the role of gender, it's about the role of sex, but mainly it's about being a human being who's searching for feeling and meaning. And as a man, I think he, he, he may have picked up a kind of notion of what that is for women that may not necessarily be true, but I think it wouldn't necessarily be true for men either. No. But it's about, he is, he, and the, I suppose what, why I really love this film Lars von Trier is as afraid of dying yeah. as I am. And that's what this film is about. And so 
I think that makes it as feminist as anything else. And uh, but I think at no point are you made to feel that Joe is doing something wrong, even when she's treating the men with absolute contempt. Plus, and the other thing I would say is, this is the least erotic movie you'll ever see. That's right. Uh, which is, I think I said that to uh, some people yesterday, and they said, "Oh, it's full of sex," and it is full of sex, but it's the least erotic movie it is. you will ever I, see I, I, in I, your and life. Uh, whatever you read and whatever <laughs> you know about the, the film, I certainly wasn't expecting it to be that way. Yeah. But it, it totally, totally is that way. It, yeah. it really is. You know, is it porn? No, it's not. It's not a porn. It film. has explicit sex. Yeah. Is it about the exploit? Is it explo- exploiting women? It's about the expo- exploitation of women and the exploitation of men. Although I must by say, being, I must say that there aren't too many breasts about. Did you Did you notice how they were never really in shot all that much? It was lit. I mean, some of the shots were literally. It's much more focused on the uh, on the cunt, yeah, indeed. And, it, and, and the not cunt o- and the cock. Not only hers and not only his, but lots of other people's. Indeed. That for, <laughs> again, it, it doesn't want you to be too comfortable if you if you enjoy the film. It just stuck a whole bunch of slides slides from a, from a slideshow. Absolutely. With lots of different cocks and lots of different cunts on there. Indeed. Um, and yeah, that's going to take some people aback, uh, but that's largely true. And the other thing, because I know a lot of people wouldn't don't won't like the and notion the, of the word cunt yeah. and cock. Object but to it. it's a harsh film about a harsh world, and so that's why it uses those kind of notions and, and ideas and words. And so, but it does it in a way that's unequaled so far. No, what, what can you say? Absolutely. So, as we round this off, then, where would you put this in his career? I think it's one of his best. I think it's up there with Idiots, uh, very much so. Uh, and I think idiots and this are are on an equal par, and then the boss of it all for a different kind of reason because yeah. it's just a much more fun film. But I, I, I tell you, the best thing that summed it up for me is I, I watched it and then I came out and I saw Vicky Cristina Barcelona was on the telly, right? And you thought, goodness me, that is the most insipid, drivelly kind of crap when you see a film like this. And again, you got to remember, Vicky Cristina Barcelona was Oscar nominated, all that is great yeah. film or whatever. It it is like a speck of dust in, in, in the in the kind of planet that this is, in what it's exploring, how it's exploring it. And if anything, the Vicky Cristina Barcelona, that's the cleanest film you will see, is a much more sexist, uh, exploitative yeah, film yeah. of women than this could Goodness. ever be. That's right. And that sums it up. I just wonder whether this might make any sort of headway on that which must not be named. I just wonder. No. I, if not that, no. if no. not that, then something. I because it's gone down very well in all quarters, and whilst whilst I'm not expecting it to win stuff, I think it has to be acknowledged. He has to be acknowledged for this work. No, I think it would be. It's far too far too explicit, and I don't mean sexually. I mean in its ideas. Yeah, uh, but I think would, would that's you not, as frightening to but an would American you not, audience? Well, but would you not say that Twelve Years a Slave is equally as exploitative? But not obviously for this subject, but in its own way. Yeah, but it but it buys into an American notion of, well, of, of course of redemption, and, and that's what this doesn't have particularly. This doesn't particularly have. But do you not think because there is no? Redemption. But do you not think the sex angle appear, appeals to no, the, think, the world's capital of porn basically? Uh, no, because it has the world's capital of porn, and I think <laughs> it's a distorted view because it links it to porn. Yeah, rather than what this is actually about, which is about. Religion and the meaningless of life, and 
the well, inevitable but, but could we, couldn't we say that for the for the broken circle breakdown exactly uh, the same thing we could but again that was a very clear concise narrative structure done in, in the hollywood classic scenario of yeah. script writing this doesn't do that this this has got far too much intelligence ideas forever to 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 be considered it won't even be nominated but, but, yeah, well and we, denmark won't even submit it for best foreign film Probably not. So I'll, so, I'll, 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 yeah, I'll, I think that'll probably be uh, that'll be Winterberg the next film. I would guess. Yeah. And, 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 why know, and why not? And why not? BAFTA might give it a thing just to be a little bit different, you know, a nomination. But again, I think there's for even most critics. You know, the critics I've seen in Britain, particularly, they haven't liked it. Uh, the populist ones, and and they tend to win the day over intelligent thought. Yeah, as we know. Indeed, and funny enough, the uh, the broadsheets as as the, 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 those have been the guys that have actually been enjoying it. So uh, because they watch because more f- foreign intellectual films that have depth, uh, like the people listening to us right now, which is yeah. great. Um, a film for voluntary fans, oh totally, and a film for non voluntary fans. But I'd like to make a point on the fact that it's a voluntary film fan film. <laughs> there you go, because. There are four of his films in this film mm. explicitly referenced. Mm. Do you know? Do you know which of the were? And can you tell me where they were? Where uh, they were? No, tell me. Do you remember when she was a child and she was lying down in the grass? Oh, and she yeah. elevated. Yeah, there's Antichrist. Right. The child falling out the window. What was that? In? Antichrist. Antichrist. Um, the host- Did you see the kingdom? The hospital from the kingdom. I did. And there was one more. Um, I- Wonder, I'm trying to think. I'm sure there's four. Well, to some extent, there's the boss of it all. Is is the kind of office scenario because that's but, all about office. Yeah, quality. that's that's half so of there's one. Elements but those of that, th- those three have said already are literally. You, you will pick those up on Trier, yeah. That you know you will definitely. Um, and I, I love seeing the uh, seeing the hospital like that. I just it didn't even make sense in that particular scene. Just a random hospital from the kingdom. But of course, it is nice to be rewarded. You know, for for twenty years of loyalty, or tw- sorry, twenty years of his loyalty. Um, uh, to, 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 oh, I know that bit. Oh, yeah. the music, yeah, the music yeah. for Melancholia. Yeah, and I, and in fact, five references to show the actual scene of the planet going round in the sky. For some random part of that film in Nymphomanic as well. So that's that's you've got Melancholia in there, Antichrist, a little bit of the boss of it all. So and the kingdom. So, but I, I suppose I would say it is for von Trier fans, and there's a lot in there. It, for but his you. films will always be for von Trier fans. But I'd say it's for priests, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it, I would recommend all priests go and see it if you can get over the explicit nature of the sex and and see it as a much more theological exploration. Do you think because you'll love it? Do you think it helps to be a von Trier fan in the sense that you can't forget? Every other thing about yourself, except for being a von Trier fan, when you go when you go into this film, to some extent, yes, and you, you you're not, you know, you're going to be pushed to the edge, yeah. but it's not going to shock you in a way that's unpleasant. It's kind of like it will be unpleasant, but you'll you'll see it as part of the overall oeuvre, as they say, uh, and I think so. That's why I think it is for von Trier fans. But again, I think if you if you've had a very deeply religious upbringing. And perhaps don't believe it anymore. But even if you do, and you can get over the explicit nature of the language and what happens in it, I think there is that it's a rich vein of engagement that you will probably enjoy it 
Uh, more than even I could, because, you know, I've got a bit of a religious... Here's idea. an idea for you. Watch volume one, watch Matterhorn as a, as a relax, <laughs> and then watch volume two. How about that for five... And five... then it's either suicide or a big cake. It is. <laughs> five hours and 20-odd minutes of pure religious oppression. Absolutely. Absolutely. Fantastic. Well, and I think it's interesting, so often we pick films that, because I'm not religious at all, I'm a complete no. atheist, and I'm yeah. sure you probably are as well, but are so What makes you, what makes you think that pulls off? <laughs> <laughs> well, I just happen to know that you'll go to hell with me. So, <laughs> uh, if there's a hell below, we're all going to go. Yeah, indeed. Uh, so, yeah. Great stuff. Enjoy. Enjoy, and, and uh, thank you for uh, listening, and we will be back in a couple of weeks. Don't worry, we'll be back. Less swearing, less graphic detail, a lot less spoilers. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with news, looking back, and three film reviews. Thanks a lot.